With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It is going to be fun. There's Define going to be fun. Mackey and Judd. It's not always going to be easy. It could cause plenty of angst. On 1500 ESPN. This is the packing order. Today's topic, the most maddening Minnesota Twins of all time. Here are Mackie and Judd. I feel like this is an expression of our twins' angst right now. They lose again last night. They're now, is it six or seven games under 500? Nine and 16. Nine and 15. They're nine and 15 now. Lost uh, 10 of the past 11 games. But besides did, that, things are going really well. I did see Parker Hageman tweeted the twins in 2006 started nine and 15 as well. And then went on to finish 71 and 33 in their final 104 games. Oh, I'm sure so that's going to think gonna that's going to happen, where they all of a sudden have a blossoming MVP, a batting champion, a gold glover, two other career seasons offensively, and Nick Punto playing the year of his life at third base. I'm going to say it's a long shot that that's going to probably repeat not going to happen. Yeah, in 2018. Oh, and like one of the top three closers in baseball at the time too. Not going to happen. No. So instead, we bring to you our angst-filled list of 10 twins that drove us crazy. It's your turn to go first. All right. This is, uh, for me at least, an exercise in a combination of ineptitude, total jerks, and poster children for all that's gone wrong with this franchise since I started to watch it. Number 10, we start with a poster child. Scott Klingenbeck. Scott Klingenbeck only pitched in 28 games for the Twins, but in that time at an 8.30 ERA, in the Lord's year of 1995 and 96. And if you recall, he was the guy they got back from uh, Cincinnati or from Baltimore in the Scott Erickson trade. You know, Scott Erickson in 91, that first half, he was so damn good. And he was everything at that point that we thought was going to be right with this franchise. And uh, uh, post-strike in 94, it had all fallen apart. Scott Klingenbeck is number 10. Number nine continues on the same theme. Well, can I pause? I feel like maybe you allowed Scott Klingenbeck a little too much power over you. But then again, I allowed the 10 guys on my oh, list the there's same no, power there's over There's complete so. power here. Sure. In fact, number nine continues the theme. For every piece of garbage this team brought in in the 1990s among old players, I picked Brett Boone. He only wow. played in 14 games in 2005 and hit 170 before the Twins decided that this was a bad move, but Brett Boone represents all of those just dumpster fire end of career. Hey, that guy used to be good, and now he's playing for the Twins. Brett Boone, number nine. 
Number eight, I move a little bit more recent uh, to a, a immediate flame out that I think probably makes your list as well. Not a jerk, but my God, did he not work out. Nishioka. Nishioka. He had a bidet put in target field, <laughs> and he barely used it because he was barely here. He was either in the bidet doing his business or ripping heaters in the laundry room. Number eight. He was supposed to be good. And by the way, you traded J.J. Hardy, a very serviceable good shortstop, because you were so confident that Nishioka could play short. He didn't even know how to turn a double play. <laughs> Number seven, I go to an actually a pretty good twin, but just a first-class jerk. And he signed a contract extension here, and then he whined and moaned and whined and moaned and eventually was moved in a very good trade. But Chuck Knobloch makes my list just for being a total ass. Just, I mean, the kid, he, he once either, what, shoved or braided a kid who, who was trying to get an autograph in Seattle from him. Chuck Knobloch, number seven on my list. I thought you'd be on the other side of the Chuck Knobloch Dave, shoving a kid argument. Dave, that, are you a little surprised that the Judd, he, you, first of all, you hate kids. He was just such, he was such a bad guy. I though. thought your take would be leave the guy alone, he's just trying to do his job. That's right. I think there was even a choke involved, wasn't there? I think, I think it was, was hand around him, the throw. He yeah. pinned him against, yeah, you're right. But just the whole thing. And and he never should have signed the extension here, but he did. And then he complained going f- forward. That I, Chuck Knobloch, number seven. Well, he was a great player, though. He was a very good player. All right. Number six on my list, third overall pick in the 1991 draft, Stanford Bula Bula Bula. He was supposed to replace Herbeck, David McCarty. David McCarty, all that went wrong with all those twins drafts and the, a guy who came up and there was such high hope for, and I think TK saw him play like twice and said, this guy's a fraud. David McCarty's number six. Number five, another high draft pick, and the guy that was supposed to take over at second base for years. And this again goes back <laughs> to the Metrodome days in the 90s. Come on down, Todd Walker. Oh, this Todd, is Todd Walker, just a butcher at second base. He could actually hit, but just that guy's idiot. got a ring, right? He was on the 2000. 2000- I think you're right. Or wait, he was on the oath. You know the o- the 04 Red Sox I won think the he championship. Stick he around with he- somebody. No, he went to the Cubs in 04. All right. Well, he anyway. was on the 03 Red Sox team that got beaten game seven. Anyway, so Walker and McCarty were going to be. You thought at one point, very briefly, that they were going to be the right side of your infield, and that this was going to oh, be fantastic. And they were. Oh yeah, they no, they yeah, the wrong side of your infield. Number four. Pitcher obtained from Philadelphia. A weird guy, and he really was bad. Can I guess? Yes, of course. Is this Carlos Silva? No, it's not. No, because he actually had some production. This is, an year, o- yeah. this is an opening day starter at Target Field. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. The Vanimal. Vance <laughs> Worley. Uh, he was a weird guy, too, but he just, he was, he was not good. The Vanimal, self-nicknamed, by the way. He was Call, like, referred to himself in the third person yes. as a nickname. Yes. The Vanimal. And he wore... And, he, and had a 9 ERA. And didn't he wear athletic <laughs> goggles, like safe, like yes. goggles as yeah. well? Yeah. Yeah, Vanimal's going to chuck today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Vanimal. Yeah, the Vanimal's going to uh, go blow some smoke, up some hitters' butts, you know. Number three. <laughs> number three. A guy who was a first-class jerk, a waste of money, and a terrible signing. Ricky Nolasco. Ricky Nolasco. You were everything that's wrong with human beings. Ricky Nolasco basically qualified. Number two, I go to my youth for this because this is a man who came here. If you think 
that a month of Fernando Rodney's been tough. Try a few years of R.D. Ron Davis. Ron Davis, the man who perfected the art of the blown save. Ron Davis, <laughs> who was Goose Gossage setup guy with the the Yankees. And as a kid, you think to yourself, you're getting the guy that set up Gossage, and now he's going to take over the Goose role in Minnesota. This is going to be fantastic. R.D., number two on my list. And number one, yes, it's obvious, but I couldn't not do this guy. A guy who got in, in the airplane after being traded from the Cardinals and cried on his way here and then proceeded to cry the rest of the time he, he was here until Minnesota fans were thrilled to ship this fraud to Philadelphia. Tommy Herr, number one on my list. It had to be wow. done. So my top ten are Tom Herr, Ron Davis, Ricky Nolasco, Vance Worley, Todd Walker, 6 through 10, David McCarty, Chuck Knobloch, Nishioka, Brett Boone, and Scott Klingenbeck. How did the Twins acquire Ron Davis, by the way? Because uh, he was so good with the Yankees, and I'm just looking at his baseball guy. reference page. Fantastic setup guy and got here and just couldn't hack the pressure. Uh, Wait, he, he went from New York to Minnesota and couldn't take the pressure? But he couldn't take the closing pressure. Okay. It, it was closing. He could set guys up. Yeah. He couldn't close. Uh, it was in one of about two or three trades that they made at that time oh. in 19, with the Yankees. In 1984, Ron Davis blew 14 saves for the Twins. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't be laughing if you, you wouldn't. What's more amazing? You wouldn't be laughing if you kept scoring most of those games like I did and actually watched them. What's more amazing, that you're bad enough to blow 14 saves oh. or that you're given enough chances to blow 14 saves? That's amazing. How do you well, keep running the well, guy Well, they got him there. from the Yankees, and so they, they had given up enough to get him that they didn't want to <laughs> replace him, and so they kept just running him out there, and it was just so tough to watch. So, Oh, he was awful. We have an unprecedented pecking order situation right now in that we match none of Oh, this is great. Wow. We this is great. None. Oh, awesome. my. We're getting 20 fresh names. 20 fresh names. <laughs> oh, this is delightful. The packing order of maddening Twins players when we come back continues. But Judd has a word for prime mortgage lending first. I do, indeed. And, and I will tell you something that is not going to drive you crazy. If you're looking for a mortgage company, folks, I've got the answer for you, and it's Prime and um, my friend Kent McCullough. And I want to tell you about Prime and Kent because this isn't simply about selling you on something. This is about earning your trust first. In fact, Prime would rather earn your trust than sell you a loan. That sounds too good to be true, right? So you're saying, what does that mean exactly? It means while Prime would love to have you as a client, what they want to do is sit down with you, meet with you first. They want to explain their plan, and then the decision is up to you. That's because this is about two very important words when it comes to sports or business and certainly your personal life, and that's teamwork and collaboration. That's what Prime is all about. It's what they believe in. And if you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. Once again, they would rather earn your trust than sell you that loan. And now you're asking yourself, that sounds great, Judd, but where do I go to find out more? And I'm going to tell you, you go to this website, goprimewithkent.com. That's goprimewithkent.com. Goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. Do it today. More pecking order after this on Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. I thought I'd be more excited than this. On 1500 ESPN. Packing order. Today's topic: the most maddening Minnesota Twins of all time. Here are Mackie and Judd. 
This is just really this is just an outlet for our twins frustration right now. This was supposed to be a step forward season and I don't know, maybe it still will be, but there's six games under 500 <laughs> going how much into hope right May. now, Phil. Snow's on the shelf. I don't think hamstrings heal quickly when you yeah. weigh as much as he does. Self-induced. Buxton had is going to have to have his leg amputated for all we know at this point. It's bad news. That's why this list is so much fun right now. Yeah, so these, these are the most maddening Minnesota Twins, just according to us, and just going back in our memory bank. So why don't you give your list of 10 real quick, because we don't match on any of yours. There's uh, going to be 20 fresh names here, baby. All right, 1 through 10, Tommy Herr, Ron D- Davis, Ricky Nolasco, Vance Worley, Todd Walker. David McCarty, Knobloch, Nishioka, Brett Boone, and number 10 on my list was pitcher Scott Klingenbach. Wow. I was going to put Nishi on my list, but he just didn't, he was so bad right away and didn't even make that much money, so it wasn't even like, but his contract, I mean, the guy made like $3 million and then left. <laughs> he was fun to watch. Yeah, he, he, he was, he he was, was to watch. Just but he was Danny, fun. Just ask Gladdy. Gladdy loved watching him try to catch pop-ups at second like base. That play where he he went, it was his second year, <laughs> yeah. and he went down to the minor leagues for like the first two or three months of the year. They called him back up, and okay, Nishi's back. He's starting at second base. His first, like literally the first ground ball hit to him. Little two-hopper right in the bread basket. He spazzes. The ball bounces off his body. He scrambles to pick it up and, like, falls down and throws the ball into the dugout. And Gladden was like, mm. Yeah, yeah, Gladden just <laughs> shut up for oh, quite a time period man. there. Yep. All, All right. right. So here is my list of 10. Starting with Scott Stahoviak, who was the first player as a kid who infuriated me. <laughs> I don't know if like David McCarty was a little too early. They were both kind of in that same period. In fact, didn't it went Herbeck, McCar- uh, David McCarty, and then Scott Stahoviak was also a first round draft pick. And they on a Creighton, it, yes, yes, he won. He either won or for sure went to the College World Series and was a big was a big deal in the early nineties. But uh, yes, um, first round pick was supposed to be the next next Kent Herbeck. <laughs> it was just a total disaster. He had one year where he had a pretty high on base percentage at a time where like no one cared about on base percentage, but that was it. Scott Stahoviak, mostly because he was the first player who infuriated me as a kid in the mid nineties. The first pitcher who infuriated me. Who I couldn't stand. That, so my dad, my mom and dad got divorced in the uh, the early 90s. And so like I would watch Twins games with my dad. And then if I was at home, MSC didn't carry all the games. But sometimes they'd put games on pay-per-view for $3. Remember I, that? I used to buy them. Yes. So my dad would oftentimes call up. You know, he'd be at his apartment in Brooklyn Park. And then I'd be at home. He'd say, hey, if you want to watch the Twins tonight, I'll order the Twins on you for pay-per-view or whatever. Yep. And, and I remember how disappointed I was every time Rich Robertson was on the mound. Oh, yeah, Rich Robertson. Like, I'm going to pay to watch Rich bleeping Robertson. This is absurd. Even $3 was too much for cool. Rich Robertson. But little known fact about Rich Robertson, who was atrocious for the Twins, except in 1996, he actually led the majors in shutouts. Oh, I, Despite having a five and a half ERA, he had three I didn't shutouts. Remember that little factoid. He led the major leagues <laughs> in shutouts. So you saw this like upside of a this lefty. The Twins didn't have many lefties, right? And so Rich Robertson was the first pitcher who infuriated me because you you wound up paying three bucks to watch his sorry you know what pitch. Yep. All right, number eight is actually Miguel Sano. He has already made my wow, top you put ten him list. On the, okay, Twins, the maddening I, Minnesota Twins list. Wow. Okay. I hate the fact that he's already basically a designated hitter at age twenty-five who can't stay on the field. Like he turns twenty-five, I think, in a few days here, 
And he was supposed to be from 18, and, and there's still upside, there's still hope, there's still time on his contract with the Twins here, but he was supposed to be the next coming of Harmon Killebrew or Miguel Cabrera, a guy who hit 330 at one point in the minor leagues, I think, at a, at, at a level. I'd have to go look, but like he was this incredible player all the way up. I'm with you. And now he's just a diet version of Adam Dunn. Now, you know, he's no. 25, he's not 30, yeah. so there's still some time, but... As of right now, I got to say, so he's Miguel made it already. On yep. Eight on your list. Okay. Yep. Number seven, I'm combining two into one here. Dusty Keelmore. The platoon combination of Bobby Kilty and Dustin Moore from the early 2000s. Now, in fairness, they had one year in like 2003 where they were actually like, because of their platoon splits, Bobby Kilty got on base at a 400 clip, and yes. and and Dustin Moore was okay. Yes, but when in an era in the early 2000s where you had all these mashing corner outfielders who were all on steroids across the league, and you had like wasn't wasn't Kilty one of the first guys that that was loved by by the analytics community? Mm-hmm. Wasn't he one of the first? He was. Didn't he, Toronto he was get a high him? On base guy. Didn't yeah. Toronto get him based on yep. that? Okay. That's what I thought. Well, to, yeah, Toronto had him originally. Did they get him back? Because the Twins traded. Uh, they, the Twins. Tra- that's right. They traded right. Kilty to yeah, right. Toronto for Shannon Stewart. For Shannon right? Stewart, you're right. Uh, so, but like in this era where Jermaine Die is bashing 30 home runs, you had all these big time corner outfielders and first basemen, and the Twins are rolling out. Dusty Keelmore. That's right. This sort of quirky redheaded guy and a very mediocre right-handed Dustin Moore. It's like they, it just felt like they had no chance against some of the lineups they were facing. All right, number six, mm-hmm. and this guy actually has one of the more famous, noteworthy game-winning hits in franchise history, but I couldn't stand all of his fake bunting nonsense, Alexi Casilla, a guy who would collect 10 to 15 web gems a year but couldn't field a basic 6-4-3 ground ball in key situations, had about nine chances to become the starting second baseman or starting shortstop of the future for five or ten years and could never grab the job. Like, every time you went into a season and said, hey, there it is. All right, this is the year. Yours to win. Alexi Casilla, 30 stolen base potential. He's going to score 100 runs, and he just soiled himself all the time. <laughs> Except in game 163 where he did drive in the game-winning run in the 13th or 14th inning. Now we get to the top five. All right. Maddening Minnesota Twins. Ten fresh names from Judd's list. Chad Allen, <laughs> exclusively for him constantly trying to catch pitchers sleeping. He had this like short-circuited thing in his brain where he thought if a pitcher was not looking at him, yep. if a pitcher went to the rosin bag for two seconds, he, he'd take off for second base. Yep. And the pitcher would calmly put the rosin bag down, throw the ball to second, <laughs> and Chad Allen would be out, caught stealing or picked off depending on which base he was chasing. Chad Allen. Why is that Super about Chad Allen in years until you just mentioned that name? Chad Allen. A For poor good man's Lou Ford. A yeah, poor yes. man's Lou if Ford. If that's even possible, you're right. <laughs> uh, number four. This man was given about three different seasons worth of chances, and I think by the time he got to his last year, which was like 2006, it was a name where it was like, oh, my God, this guy again, Terry Tiffy. Terry Tiffy. Oh, you, know, you know what? I would like to say, I would like to say on behalf of, of the, the twins, I'm sorry, Phil. 
I'm really sorry. Terry you, Tiffy, you dude. both grew up in, in, an, in an age where you shouldn't have had to witness this. We this had, is like being right. baseball orphans. You, you saw your baseball team just absolutely crash and burn. I yes. mean, these names, at least, at least, you know, I saw some awful baseball, but I got two World Series, so sure. I can't complain. And we caught the tail end of that, you know. No, kids. but the very tail end. But what yeah. I'm saying is, I'm sorry that the heart of your youth was spent watching this. I can't say it on the air. Like, Terry Tiffy was this six really foot sorry. three, this big third baseman, 235 <laughs> pound, whatever he was. He gets up to the plate, and he just he's just swinging a rolled up wet newspaper. <laughs> Terry bleeping Tiffy. All right, into the top three here. This is very therapeutic, by the way. I'm combining two into one. The sensitive sinkers, Mike Pelfrey and Nick Blackburn, are tied at number three on this list because they might as well be the same guy. Or like, if they're a little too strong, the sinker's not sinking. Uh, And in the case of Mike Pelfrey, that guy threw like 93 miles an hour and still couldn't miss a bat to save his life for 10 years in the major league. But he was a stand-up guy. And that's the thing. Like, they're both two of the nicest guys I've ever covered or been around. Just as human beings, they're both awesome guys. But to watch them pitch was was needles in my eyes. Uh, and and any time they were on the mound and not pitching efficiently and well, it was a four-and-a-half-hour game. Yeah. So Mike Pelfrey and Nick Blackburn, <laughs> the sensitive sinkers, number three. Number two. We actually have teammates here for number one and number two. We'll start with this one. A guy who had over the actually he's still in the he's still in the major leagues, Drew Butera. Well, but he's a he's a you know uh, he works with pitchers and he can he can call the game. Okay, Drew Butera has been in the major leagues for nine years, has fewer extra base hits in nine years than Paul Goldschmidt had last year alone. Here's Drew Butera, automatic out. Like, I'm, I got so sick of hearing about, yeah, but he works with the staff. Like, dude, okay. That was great Drew defensive Butera, catcher, Phil. Come on. Here are his batting averages year by year in his career. Uh-huh. 197, 167, 198, 100 on the nose. 188, 196. He had a year three years ago where he somehow hit 385 with four home runs. Uh, or 285. 227, and then this year, 163. He's off to that start with Kansas City. A career average of 201 but you know over what he's 450 good? games. You know what he's good at? He's, oh, he's great right. in the clubhouse. Great, great in the clubhouse. And he can frame pitches. That's great. So Drew Butera, number, right, number two on two. the Maddening Twins list. And number one, without any question, Delman Young, a former number one overall pick who couldn't even... Open his mind. I should have put Young on, on my list. That's to accept it, yeah. advice from major league hitting coaches, the dude yeah. only listened to his dad give hitting advice. Yeah. And once, as a power hitter, led major league baseball in ground ball rate. Delman Young, one of the most congratulations Delman players in any sport I've ever watched. A guy who was not only lazy but surly and abrasive, and uh, never lived up to his potential as the number one overall pick. So. Delman Young, number one, Drew Butera, the sensitive sinkers, Mike Pelfrey, Nick Blackburn, Terry Tiffy, Chad Allen, Alexi Casilla, Dusty Keelmore, Miguel Sano, Rich Robertson, and Scott Stahoviak. 20 names between the two of us. Scotty Stahoviak. Dave, do you have 10 fresh? I don't know that I could do 10 fresh, but my top three actually did not make either of your lists. Really? Yes. Oh, I like this. And one doesn't deserve it at all. They're all from 
the, the very similar era of, you know, kind of like late middle school, early high school for me, my prime twins loving years, you know, going to the dome with buddies and hanging out in the cheap seats, $5 uh, student nights. Number three on the list was actually a pretty good player, but it's Jock Jones because wow. he never saw a fastball in the dirt in a two-strike count in a big situation he didn't want to hack at, either in the dirt or over his head. I could not stand uh, fan, it. Fan favorite Jock Jones oh, right man. there. He was, and we he was overall a good player, but between that and spiking throws from right field he did do three that. feet into the turf in front <laughs> of him. Once, he did oh, that all the time. I, wa- I once <laughs> saw him throw a ball from the outfield in, into the stands behind <laughs> yeah. the Behind the yes. dugout on first base side. For sure. He launched yes. a throw to home plate that somehow carried 12 rows up. He had so much talent, but so many what the F moments are you <laughs> yeah. doing? Oh. <laughs> Number two and one are nearly the same player, just different positions. Number two is Matt Lecroy. Okay. Yeah, thought about putting him on the list. Washington national fans might put him higher than Twins fans, yeah. actually. Made Wonderful guy, and he had a little thump in his bat, but he couldn't do anything else. Yep. And if you've got a little thump in your bat, you're not good enough to be a DH. So thanks, Ron Gartenheyer, for keep trotting him out enough times and throwing him back up catcher. Uh, and number one, even worse than that, and looking back, his numbers aren't horrible, but Brian Buchanan. Wow. Buck Buchanan drove me nuts. <laughs> Every time Gardy wanted to throw him out to play right field, just watching him circle around after a fly ball with his head up as you know what, getting lost out there. With his rigid half swing. Yes. He had the Glen Allen Hill swing. Yes. Where he was like, it was like his joints didn't work properly. Yes. And he had a little pop. He had a little thump in his bat, but not nearly enough to be an everyday hitter, not even close. Yeah. I mean, he should be a, a once a week maybe player, but you know, just keep trotting him out every once in a while. We'll platoon him with somebody because Buck Buchanan's gonna hit the long ball. The Twins went through no, such a, a dark era of uh, off Matt Lecroy. They went through such a dark era of catchers. Do you remember the combination? I can't remember what year it was. This might have been like this might have been bef- like two thousand before they got good. Because when they were good, who, their, their catchers AJ Przinsky and Joe Maurer were their catchers starting in like oh one. Yeah. Chad Moeller and Marcus Jensen. Oh, my. I remember as a kid watching those dudes in the Metrodome in like the late 90s, (laughs) 2000. Actually, you know what what was awful? The first base parade post-Herbeck. The day her... So... David McCarty. uh, McCarty, Stahoviak. Do do you guys recall Kevin Moss? Oh, yeah. Had been a Yankee and had actually been pretty good. And he was among the recycled garbage. Greg Colbrun? Yes, who had been with the Expos. Yep. Yes. And and if you guys recall though the the story was this so so the twins had Sorrento and Kent and they traded on a Saturday afternoon they announced that that uh, Paul Sorrento had been traded to Cleveland I believe and they were playing a uh, spring training game against the Cardinals and that's the day that Herbeck after like hours after this trade went I think he belly flopped into third base and separated his shoulder and was a mess. And then from then on, it seemed like they were always trying to parade just this garbage at first base. Yeah, yeah Greg Colbrun. And all these guys had been decent in their previous stops, and so you're always like, they got Kevin Moss? Well, this would be better. And then McKavich came along and hit like 400 the first half of the season yes. and played gold glove defense. And I mean, Doug McKavich was fine. He was the best defensive first baseman, but he, he was a him. savior after a decade of yeah. post-Herbeck futility. Saved a run every single game. Yep. <laughs> That's right. 162 RBIs just with his Rawlings. Uh, What's coming up in stuff here? 
Some of the most epic trash talk you will ever hear. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. How long did the show last? More than seven hours. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. And Stuff You Should Know About is sponsored by Dell. During Small Business Month, Dell is offering up to 40% off select PCs with 8th Gen Intel Core processors. Call 877-BY-DELL to speak with a small business technology advisor today. Judd Show, give me a go, no go for stuff you should know about. Hosts, go. Producer, we're go. Technical, go. Music, go. Volume, go. The actual stuff, we are go. Control, we are a go. You are clear to launch stuff you should know about. We are go for launch. All right, Dave Harrigan, you're a go, I think. No, I said producer, go. All right, then you're a go. Let's do this thing. How do they keep winning? Marcus Smart. Two parquet squares behind a three-point line. Gets a Horford screen. Embiid comes out to challenge. Now the push pass for Rozier. Rozier driving on Simmons. Falls away off the wrong foot and knocks it down from the free throw line. Well, somebody go get some sandwiches and some light bread because this puppy is over. (laughs) I have no idea what that means, but the Celtics beat up on the Sixers last night. How do they keep winning, boys? You know what, Dave? They're just grittier and tougher than every other team. They're certainly grittier and tougher than the Timberwolves. That's all I can say. Greasy baskets? They do it for 48 minutes. Is it greasy baskets? Is that what they're getting? Yeah. Rozier, Tatum, and Horford combined to each score at least 25 points last night. The last three Celtics to combine to do that in a playoff game were... Bird, McHale, Parrish. Are we we going back to KG? Wow. Nailed it. Wow. Bird, McHale, Parrish, 87. Yeah. Hey, but the Wolves are <laughs> nipping on their heels, baby. Nipping on their heels. Yeah, we're coming. This was Joel and B last night after the loss. I thought I was, uh, I thought we were all bad tonight. So that's not what we are, definitely. Uh, but I think, you know, when everybody is on, we're the best defensive team in the game. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff we game plan that we didn't execute. <laughs> I thought I was bleepy. Yeah, he's uh <laughs> He's awesome. It's possible that uh, maybe they just needed a little bit of maybe just like one game to get settled. But I think this is going to be a six or seven game series because it feels like Philadelphia has maybe the better players, but the Boston's just like better coached. But maybe that's the The way Boston develops all of their first round picks. That might even just be wrong. What if they won the title without Kyrie Irving? They can't beat the Warriors, but they could get to the finals without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, which would be crazy. I assume you guys are well in tune with the Milken Institute. Very familiar with that wonderful whatever it is. Yes, it's the institute that Tom Brady says controversial things at every year, right? That's true. When he's asked by Jim Gray, as he was last night. This brings to mind Coach Belichick and Mr. Kraft. Do you feel appreciated by them, and do they have the appropriate gratitude for what you have achieved? I plead the fifth. <laughs> Not a Jim Gray fan, but give him credit for being an excellent bleepster. More from Brady. I think everybody in general wants to be appreciated more at work, you know, in their professional life. But there's a lot of people that are appreciate me more than, you know, way more than I ever thought, you know, was possible as part of my life. So, um, so you, you know, take it from them. Well, I think it's <laughs> you know, I think it's you have different influences in your life, and I think. The people that I work with, they're trying to get the best out of me. Yeah, he 
<laughs> Everything's wonderful in Patriot Land, it isn't it? Sounds amazing. Uh, so was what, what, why was Jim Gray there? What was this whole the host? What, right? What was the was this? I mean, I saw like the video clips, yeah. but I mean, he had I, to know that this was going to be a national think, audience. It well, wasn't like some private event. And my sense with Brady is that Jim Gray's his guy now because I, I think on on the Westwood halftime show. Jim Gray talks to him on Monday nights, and That's so right. I, so I think Jim Gray's his guy, and so my guess is that that those questions were prepped by Brady himself for Jim Gray to ask. That's, that's my guess. It's very decision-like is what you're saying. And then he gets it out there that things might not be perfect for him. Do they have school kids sitting in the corner, too, while he was answering the question awkwardly? Like LeBron's charity, remember that? Yes. You guys catch any of the uh, TNT action last night? Chuck and Shaq and all of them? I, I was at know. the ball yard. Intermittently. Uh, the end of it was rather humorous. It's much more for uh, TV if you can catch the catch the video of Shaq pulling out a catfish, a dead catfish, but an actual catfish, and throwing it at Chuck, and oh. Chuck running out of the studio. That was rather funny. But there was also the great line that Chuck got here that I don't think is getting enough attention. When you ask somebody about their weekend... You don't actually care about their weekend, right? Mostly, Absolutely. Yeah. When you ask how they're doing, you don't, don't care. care how they're doing. Mostly, nope. yeah. You don't like it when people talk about their fantasy football teams or tell you this great story about their pets or, in Kenny Smith's case, his kids. What do you think, Chuckster? It's uh, 10.45 on a Monday night. Uh, oh, we might break the internet tonight. It's going to be over a billion, like one point. Over, over a billion viewers on yes. over-the-air TV. Yeah. You know who's watching, though? Uh, yeah. Out of 1.2 billion? Huh. Little London at home, she's watching. Man. I mean, we don't it's care about your oh. kids. <laughs> I love him so much. We don't care I, about your kids. I love Barkley so much. He's just <laughs> the greatest. Who knows the name Josh Hader? H A D E R. I saw this note yeah. in the paper today, the, and I had never heard, heard of him in my life till that. The only reason I do is because I'm in an absurdly deep fantasy baseball keeper league, and I had him as a keeper two years ago, but like bailed, bailed, oh, no. bailed last oh, year. No, oh, no, that was a huge mistake. Oh, yeah. He struck him out. Oh, what a night for Josh Hader! Eight strikeouts out of the bullpen tonight as the Brewers defeat Cincinnati 6-5. to five. An eight-out save. He did walk somebody in the eighth inning, I believe, against, of course, the Reds, who can't hit the Brewers pitching, but they're all over Twins pitching. First pitcher in the live ball era to record eight or more outs all via the strikeout. And there's more numbers just like that. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is ridiculous. Yeah, he ha- he he is averaging 20 strikeouts per nine innings. How, over is that year. good? How do you bail <laughs> on that? T- how do you bail on so him? So here's what's weird, though. He's so, a lefty with a ridiculous slide. Yeah, I so, wouldn't have bailed on him. So he, Clearly, you wouldn't have. He no. W- so he was a starting pitcher throughout. He, he was a 19th-round draft pick by the Orioles in 2011 or 12 out of high school. He's one of those rare high school kids that doesn't go to college. Most kids will say, if I'm a top 10 round pick uh, and it's a good signing bonus, then okay, I'll play ball. But he was a 19th round pick. He was a starter his entire minor league career till he got to AAA and had a five and a half ERA as a starter at age 23 with Milwaukee. And they said, well, let's just move to the bullpen and see what happens. And here it is. Yeah. There's some talk that he might go back to the rotation at some point. But I don't know. I don't man. know about that. I just want to let him let him sit out there and snipe the last two yeah. or three innings worth of hitters and do it that way. I think when it comes to talking trash and really being, you know, getting that bravado going, nothing better than boxing and just fighting in general. I those 
press conferences where they really get going and start throwing these haymakers at each other verbally. We've got a rematch coming up in uh, London this coming weekend. David Hay taking on Tony Bellew. Last spring, Bellew apparently uh, shocked the boxing world by going up two weight classes and beating David Hay in 11 rounds. Well, the rematch is happening, and David Hay's trainer, fellow by the name of, oh, let's see, Adam Morley, hmm. went up to the podium, boys. And let's just say he's breaking it down. The person who said history always repeats itself was wrong. It doesn't always repeat itself. Two things might repeat themselves. You lot screaming and shouting and Tony Bellew playing games. They may repeat themselves. But you know, won't, you know what won't repeat itself? You know what? This time David's going to win. <laughs> this time he will, because you know it as well. You know it. You know it and you know it. You know it. You can kid yourselves all you like. Play your little games. All shout at me. Oh, that's good. You're wrong. You're wrong, guys. And Saturday night you'll see. He's very polite. <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> it's good to win this time. You know that you're wrong. Love the accent, though. And oh, you're going to find I out. I love the accent. That's <laughs> uh, the most polite trash talk we've ever uh, encountered. Sorry, and guys. Finally, Rick Pitino, uh, the dad Rick Pitino, not our guy Richard, but Rick, he's uh, still making good on his promise never to return to Louisville, Kentucky. Unless certain people are gone from the university that unjustly fired him. Uh, this weekend is a Kentucky, Kentucky Derby. Uh, on Friday, it's the Kentucky Oaks, I believe we call it. He is co-owner of one of the horses racing in the Friday uh, Oaks race. Coach Rocks is the name of the horse. He was asked if he's going to show up. He says, no, nah, not going to do it. Partners might be, but... I won't be there unless, quote, University of Louisville Board of Trustees Chairman David Grissom and the pizza guy, a.k.a. Papa John, who's very much in uh, in bed with the university, have resigned their positions with the school. Mm. He's not showing up. He should name his horses after all of the prostitutes that were circling around campus to uh, help recruit. That dorm was named after his brother-in-law who was killed in the tragic events of 2001. I can't believe you brought that up, okay? I mean, Rick is very upset about that. 9-11. I can't believe you went there. I feel like you're mocking 9-11 right now. Not mocking 9-11, okay. but that whole dorm thing was He's just very much such mocking a Rick sorry, sorry. <laughs> you ran prostitutes through the door, and you're hiding behind one of the most tragic events you can... And Misty out in front by a couple of... The Papa John's guy was out, by the way. He's out of Papa John's. He still so loves still himself some Cardinal. Okay. Does he still call himself Papa John? Or is that name part of the company now, and he had to give up... Does he call himself something else? Does Do we know? Peyton still talk to him? I don't know. But Peyton sold his Papa John's franchises, right? Yeah, he's done. Okay, so he's out. It's too bad. Well, let's come back and break all this down. All right, we'll have the full <laughs> break. Qu- I got a lot of questions. Uh, Jason Stark at 1130. We have uh, a plan for Miguel Sano, perhaps, as well, and plenty more on the Tom Thibodeau, Scott Layden season-ending press conference. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. <sighs> oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Mackey and Judd. You Okay. Uh, On 1500 ESPN. 
Northern Invasion returns to the Somerset Amphitheater May 12th and 13th with a bigger and better lineup than ever. The lineup includes Tool, Avenged Sevenfold, Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, and more. This year's festival promises over 12 hours of music per day on three stages. For more details, as well as the ticket and camping options, head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. And there's a drive. Deep left field by Russell Martin. That ball is long, long gone. Into the second deck. Well, he's still, you know, having a little trouble with his command. You can you can tell by the pitches and the walks and some of those things that are creating uh, a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, he made some good pitches at times to try to minimize. You know, we didn't make some plays. Um, obviously, that, that showed up in tonight's game. Um, you know, the home run uh, to smoke, big blow there to try to keep it close, and he kind of separated a little bit there. Yeah, that was uh, that was rougher for our guy Lance Lynn last night. I'm trying to put into context what's happening here. Like, if this is going to be a down season, it feels worse because it's on the heels of this unexpected success last year. I mean, they had the the no team has ever lost 100 games and then gone to the postseason. And part of the reason why they were able to pull that off is, well, twofold. Number one, they just got crazy hot after the trade deadline. But also, it didn't require as many wins as usual as usual in the history of baseball, right? I mean, getting to the mid-80s traditionally doesn't put you in the playoffs. Uh, so, like, this all feels way more devastating than it probably this, is. This is the April that everybody, including, uh, including Falvey, expected last year, right? If this April had happened in 2017, we'd all be like, well, that's too bad, but yeah. it, it's not a surprise. What feels weird about this whole thing, though, is it's not just the loss of games. It's things that, that have gone wrong. Santana gets hurt. Polanco gets suspended. Buxton is hurt now. Um, the Sano thing to me is completely self-induced, which is a problem, too. So I think what feels weird about this is things started to go wrong, and you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem good. And now, and now, uh, since they came back from being snowed out, they've lost a ton of games, and so it's all starting to go together. And this is one of those weird things where you sense, where you get the sense that sports karma is not going your way. And the only other team in baseball that's really comparable in terms of a team that most people thought was going to contend, and is several games under 500 right now. The Washington Nationals are 13 and 16. They're in fourth place in the National League East, five and a half games behind the Mets, who are surprisingly 17 and nine. Uh, I think with that pitching staff, you had to figure the Mets were going to be competitive, but to be that good and get off to this good of a start, it doesn't mean you're dead, but like the fact that you now have to play as Derek Wetmore brought up on our show yesterday at a 95 win pace the rest of the way. Yes. You know, that, 95 wins would have been you playing at your best all year and adding a key piece at the trade deadline. And can like you that's... assume, I mean, we, we look, looked at the schedule in April, early in the month, and we saw the Royals, with White Sox, and Tigers and said, oh, th those are wins for the most part. Can you still say that? Yeah, those are still, like, the Twins are a better team than all three of those teams. That is the saving grace. Like the fact that you still get, I mean, so the, how many games, have, they played the White Sox once, right? Uh, they played, they yeah, played the, yep. At Target Field, yes. And then, am I missing Tigers? They haven't played the Royals yet. They haven't played yet. the Tigers yet. Okay, so they have like 50-plus games yes. against three but teams But are we sure that, that they're good, good enough games. to win as many games against those teams as we assumed previously? Or are you going to win some of those games, but it's not going to be the same? Yeah, I don't, I, know. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, they're they're better than those teams. I know they're behind the Tigers right now, but the Twins, 
if they get Byron Buxton back at some point, and this is a good segue, Miguel Sano, yeah. who I know the, the team has been saying, oh, it's day-to-day, he might play here, might play there. I don't know, man. Hamstring, a guy who weighs well, 290 pounds. And we've pounds. heard this before from them, too. Yep. Miguel Sano has gotten hurt before, and we hear he'll be back in, in a day or two, and inevitably the next thing that we see is a stint on the DL. So what should they do with Miguel Sano? I know you have been formulating a plan for this. Uh, let's let's talk about that. What would be the best for him, and what would be the best for the team? And if you have thoughts on the Twins right now and their horrific start, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Jason Stark at 1130. And we have a lot more, too, on what we heard from Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden yesterday over the final couple hours.